welcome to the next episode of More Than Meets the Eye. Today, I meet with the wonderful Juliet Coffey, an incredibly talented integrated therapist who heads up the individual and family counselling teams, the spiritual care team and the positivity art group at South Bucks Hospice Butterfly House. Juliet has built a wealth of knowledge from supporting the most vulnerable people, especially empowering women to thrive following trauma, abuse, illness and depression. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. So with that said, let's get stuck in. Hi Juliet, thank you so much for being the second guest on More Than, More Than Meets the Eye. And I, it's my pleasure to have you here today. And I can't wait to dive in to your story, uh, a little bit about what you do, and just give the listeners some inspiration, some hope, um, because it's, for me, it's been really amazing to speak to you over the, you know, over the six months that I had therapy with you, and I'll come on to that. So with that said, welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) I am really, really honoured, Peter. It's um, an absolute pleasure to do this with you. And um, I've never been asked to do something quite like this before. So uh, it's just an honour. I'll try and do all I can to open up a little bit about the, the world that we have both been in together. Amazing. So I think it would be a really good start to talk about um, how we met. and how this relationship came to thrive, as I would say. Um, I got diagnosed with breast cancer in March 2021, went through rigorous chemo, lost all my hair, lost all my hope. I would say life was really, really grim. Um, Somebody told me about Butterfly House and I at first was very much like, no. The words hospice, The words palliative care scared the living daylights out of me. So what I kind of said, no, I don't, that's not the place I want to go. And then as I, as I kind of researched a little bit more, I realized that there were some complementary therapies on offer. And actually that's what made me come in the first place. Because I was like, oh, maybe I could have some reflexology. When I walked in, actually, I was blown away by how special Um, Butterfly House, South Bucks Hospices, and what you had on offer. And that's when my therapy started with you in, I think it was November, October, November in 2021. And I just remember you helping me um, with this analogy of a bridge. So I think when I came to you, I was on this really dark side of the bridge and you helped me move over six months onto the other side and you know we can talk a bit more about that it was amazing for me and that's how our relationship started and it, it doesn't seem that long ago but it's wonderful to think that you have crossed that bridge now and I'm, I'm so honored to be part of that meeting I think to go back to some of your questions about you know what is the meaning of the word hospice and palliative care I think that all of the staff here try to walk a mile in all of our patients shoes you know these illnesses don't discriminate against anyone any one of us could have anything Um, and I think 
understanding what it might be like to be a patient and to be overwhelmed um, and daunted by some of these words is, is very close to our heart. So perhaps today if I can demystify that a little bit, um, that, that might be helpful. So firstly, the, the word hospice, I think what's really interesting is that when we go back to the 1960s, this wonderful lady who became Dame Cicely Saunders for her good work, she recognised that if somebody is a patient in a hospital bed with a broken arm, their needs are actually very different to somebody who's going through a much more serious journey um, in a bed next to them. She recognised um, what came to be known as the four quadrants of palliative care. And we'll demystify the word palliative a little bit in a moment, but she recognised that those needs were psychological, spiritual, social, meaning the, the, the different challenges that come with, with money issues and paying bills and all of the things that can be worries, um, and also the physical conditions. So those are the four quadrants of palliative care, but she realised that special buildings needed to be set up. Um, and historically in those early years, when a lot of conditions weren't that curative, a lot of people did die there. But today, the good news is that a lot of conditions are curative pathways but we still treat those those quadrants um, in buildings that are known as hospices. So I hope that demystifies it a little bit. That's fantastic because I know there's a lot of people that might be listening that might be scared of the word hospice or palliative care, but that explanation is actually so positive. And, and what you do here at, at Butterfly House Southworks Hospice is very much about relieving those symptoms that people have you know whether it might might be psychological or through reflexology to calm the body and the mind so you know we shouldn't be scared of that word anymore we should you know we should always um, be open-minded to what that that might be and how they can help help you or someone going through such a you know such a life-changing diagnosis and I think the word palliative itself, it's, it's worth sort of unpacking that it means relieving symptoms without dealing with the cause. So therefore, you know, the, the work that we did together, the, the psychological work, um, it, it was a, a, a journey across that bridge, but it, it wasn't a, a, a medical thing as a condition itself. You know, that was something that's being dealt with separately and that's been another part of your journey. But so hospices are there to relieve these symptoms um, and uh, we're very, very honoured to be part of that in the community. We don't have any beds here, apart from there is a place to lie down, but it's not that people stay here. So it's not a residential place. This is a, a, day, a day hospice where people walk out and smile. You know, that's, that's what we want. 100%. <laughs> Smiling is what I see around this whole building. But more importantly, I think it's the calmness. And, and for me, I've only been to this particular one, but I know from speaking to others that it's the same kind of atmosphere at a lot of other hospices. And, and it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful what you're doing. And, and that's why you're here today, because the podcast is there or is here to inspire hope um, when all hope seems lost or to give you the, the, the kind of motivation to start. Um, whatever it might be that you might be putting off because life is too short in my opinion um, so just go and live life and with that said you're here because I really want to delve deeper into your life because you've changed the course of my illness 
you change the course of my psychological mental health and every time I spoke to you you came with such knowledge such wisdom and I mean there was no question about whether who would be the second guest on here because I just needed people to hear that wisdom because um, you're just incredible so with that said let's let me just get on to how I start off this podcast um, with all guests is can you take me back to your earliest memory that you believe shaped who you are today? Well, me to firstly, I just say thank you very much for your very generous comments, which really mean the world to me. Um, it would be a pleasure to um, tell you a little bit about how I got into this amazing field. Um, I think it, it, with earliest memories, I hope this, this resonates a lot with you and your, your listeners. Um, sometimes it's like little snapshots. Um, and I think I can think of four really incredible snapshots that have sort of informed my life. Um, and they go back to primary school, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Um, my first memory has got a funny one, um, and that is of a egg and spoon race at sports day and I'm sure those people who are parents have, can relate to this as well with cheering on their child so I had two very passionate parents their first child in the first ever sports day cheering me on to come across the finishing line and there were other children in this egg and spoon race who had passed the finishing line before I'd even um, got past the starting post because I was more interested in um, the beautiful trees around me, the beautiful bunting and the colours at the end, the the little girl who was next to me and checking she was okay and having a little chat. And um, I think my parents, well, she really doesn't get this sort of winning business. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this interest in other people and not sort of rushing to the end of the race has has become a bit of a theme. And then the second memory links to that, actually. It's um, a little snapshot of um, sort of story time on the rug, which I'm sure a lot of us remember in those early years as well. And we were told the story of, of it's called, called Tales of Troy and Greece. And there was this character called Odysseus, and he'd left his homeland of Ithaca, and he got lost, and he was trying to get home. And um, the journey was all about what he learnt along the way and it wasn't a quick journey home but there was something about the destination not being as important as the journey which links a little bit with my first memory of the uh, of, you know not winning the race the destination sort of wasn't so important to me as the journey you know uh, so I think those two things became very foundational and then uh, another, two other lo lovely memories from that time. One was um, another little snapshot of, I had a nature notebook at school where we would get oak leaves and sycamore leaves and, and draw them. And it, it, I think it was my first experience of mindfulness. Um, and the, the sort of fourth and final little snapshot I was going to share that, that was really on my heart is the, this um, looking through a kaleidoscope um, at my grandparents' house. I don't know about you and your listeners, but grandparents are sometimes wonderful at thinking of the toys that gra 
grandchildren might like. So my grandma had this little drawer of goodies and there was a kaleidoscope in there. And what was so interesting is you looked at the same colours every time, but if you gave it a quarter turn to the left or the right, the whole picture changed, the whole perspective changed. And I share those four little snapshots because actually today, being the head of individual and family support at the hospice and heading up the, the counselling team, the spiritual care team, and also the positivity art group, where most of our subjects are taken from nature, I just find it so interesting how life weaves a story together where all the little things you were interested in still when you're four and five can be the same as when you're in your mid-50s or 60s you see those threads of life coming together um, we have a fabulous art group here uh, and the patients just inspire me every time we get together and some of them haven't painted since school and yet these masterpieces come out and it doesn't even matter if they're not masterpieces this color emerges and you know everyone's just enjoys the process um and i'd encourage your listeners to to have a look at some of the artwork and some of the comments we've got a lovely uh, website page dedicated to that which you can find on www.sbh.org.uk so you know you can see the um, wonderful creations that have come to life through through our patients and, and read what they say. So it's, it's fascinating to me how the threads of our life aren't wasted. You know, those little things emerged as something a little bit more developed further down the line, but really the same interests, you know. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And I've, I've seen the artwork. I have been in the rooms where the patients have done this art and it is, it, just like you say, it's, it's mind blowing. When you, especially when you tell me that they've not, you know, painted for, you know, two decades or something. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And, and I guess that's what brings this place to life as well. Um, it's amazing that you run the art club and also do the spirituality and the bereavement listening service uh, kind of heading that up as well I think it's um your earliest memories are just I mean I'm not surprised to be honest <laughs> because it's who you are it's it's what makes you Juliet and I and I love that and, and I love the fact that you're more interested in the conversation with the young girl um doing the egg and spoon race rather than the destination because that's that's uh, you through and through from you know my uh, relationship with you and it's wonderful to hear that you know those things that happen in your early years do shape you and you know we shouldn't just forget about our childhood because it is very important about who we are today so i mean you know you've you've obviously had a lovely childhood protected and loved how did you how did i mean i think i know the answer to this question but how did you choose your career as a therapist um specializing in women's uh, mental health and was that choice intentional or do you feel at some point there was a calling for you to do this work because i feel <laughs> that there was a calling and i feel like i can't see you doing anything else and when you tell me that you've been in the corporate world, it, it, it goes over my mind because I just can't picture you in that environment. That's so insightful for me to you. Um, and, and again, very generous of you to, to, to say those things. Um, I, 
I feel um, it has been a journey. I mean, I'm in my mid-50s now, and it's amazing what the different decades of your life do and how, how fundamentals stay the same, but some things really change and develop. And I think, um, yes, I went to a, a university when I was 18, as some people do, and I, life had been very protected up to then, but I went to University of Sussex in Brighton, and where I lived, um, I, you know, I was sort of, I didn't really know how to cook for myself, so I put on quite a lot of weight quite quickly and thought, oh dear, I better run along the seafront to try and shift some of the student pounds <laughs> that were piling on. And I saw um, all these people just sleeping on benches. Um, people, in, had, some of them had sleeping bags, some of them didn't. Um, and I realised that there was, a, there was a story behind each and every person in one of those sleeping bags. And I think at the age of 18, I wasn't sure what that required of me, but it was the beginning of a social conscience uh, growing that I couldn't go through this life just metaphorically running past every person in a sleeping bag. At some point, something was going to need to change in me so that it could help them. Um, I didn't know what that solution was at 18. I carried on doing my, um, I did a degree in the history of art, culture and community. Um, and then um, I did a postgraduate diploma with the Chartered Institute of Marketing, which took me into new product development for Marks and Spencers, um, lots of world travel. So at this point, I was still very much, I, th I suppose, living for myself in a way, in the only way I knew how. Um, and it was only when I then became a mum, I'd had a very worrying pregnancy with my second child. Um, and I had one of these scans where they could see this extra fluid in the nuchal folds. So they weren't sure whether the baby would make it through the actual, the, the actual birth. Um, and um, it, it, it did, it really changed me as a person. I, I started to realise that a lot of things weren't within my control, that some circumstances in life weren't in my control. So I, I needed to look outside myself and, and try and make sense of that. And that was really the beginning of a whole new path. Um, and when my children were about, I think about six and eight. Um, I went back to college and I studied um, psychology within a theological framework, um, which was really interesting because it gave both a psychological angle and a spiritual angle. Um, and it also opened opportunities to go and work in a night shelter with homeless people. And I stayed there for seven years. Uh, and then I worked in a, a centre for releasing people from um, domestic abuse situations um, for a further three years before I then went into palliative care. Um, they were really important foundational years as a psychotherapist. I think my, my specialism, what I would say, is in recovery from trauma. So there have been periods when I've worked closely with women's mental health, particularly when I was in the domestic abuse centre. But I think for all people, I have this passion for empowerment and for people to find their own strength, which sometimes they don't know they have. And that, that's been my story. And if I can walk alongside other people 
to, to help them feel empowered and help them find that strength within, um, then a path is a lot more meaningful, I think, you know, for, for, for all of us that can tread that path, finding those, those, that treasure. I'm, wow, I'm blown away. Um, I am always speaking to you, I'm blown away. Um, what an inspiring story. But mainly, I'm just really interested in what you've just said in this latter part about walking alongside um, your, you know, the people that you're helping. Because you, 100%, in my case, walked alongside me. Um, I remember coming in on the first session we had, and I think I cried for the first hour, nonstop. Um, and I think that release helped me you know, I really didn't think that you could help me. I really didn't think, oh, how can, you know, you have no idea about my life. There is nothing you know. There's no way you're going to be able to help me. You don't know what it live, you know, feels like. These are the thoughts that I was having. Obviously didn't say them to you, but I just cried and thinking, I guess the tears were also about how am I going to get through this really difficult point in my life? And you use this analogy that I will never forget. And I think it's really important that everyone hears this analogy about the bridge. Can you just explain a bit more about this bridge? Because I, I know there's a book by Donna, someone who talks about the bridge as well. Um, and she's a grief um, specialist. Can you talk about this bridge analogy? Because I think so many people might be able to relate to it and might be able to use it in their life. Uh, well, I'd love to. I'm interested in the book, by the way, written by this by Donna. I'm not sure. I've, I've come across it, but I'd love to read it. Um, for myself, I think that this image of the bridge came into my mind. But that I actually found in life a real bridge where I used to go when um, I was contemplating on what next to do in a difficult situation, and found such peace there, but also found that across the other side, um, it was a, diff a different pasture or a different plane, and the perspective looked different, to go back to my kaleidoscope image a little bit. You know, and if we have a, a slightly different perspective of each stage, I think for yourself, Nita, you, you couldn't at that point see what it, life would look like a few weeks on, a few months on, and, and it's just to feel that actually if there's some movement, then there's some hope, I think. You know, so if you can go from one stationary point to another and then to another, the midway point being the bridge, but the other side of the bridge being another juncture of the journey, then, then there's hope in that movement. There's hope in those seasons. And um, I think it's really important to hold on to what that might mean for each of us. And the fact that our journeys are individual and very unique. Definitely. And I think that's what I found that every week I came, you built on the progress that I'd make, made the week before. And I started to see the progress. And I think what was really uh, amazing that you did with me is you asked me how I, how I, how I processed information. Was it you know, in a logical way, or was it in a visual way? And you really took that on board. And I said to you, I was a planner. I said to you, yes. I like to know what the plan looks like. And you, you pulled that plan together. And I think it's really important that we all look within and see how do we best learn? 
And when we take that journey on, we make sure that we use it in a way that fits in with the way we learn, the way we process information, because that really helped, massively helped me. And I, and and on that same note, um, you, to, you told me about the book, um, A Man's Search for Meaning. And I think all, all the listeners should go and, and, and go and get this book, either from a library or just buy it, because I think that is so inspirational about how you can be in the midst of hell, but actually, um, all you need to do is just keep putting those little flags of hope into your day that will get you to the next day, the next day. And I guess it's the same kind of analogy as it is with the bridge that you just keep putting those little flags down, however small, and you keep moving. You keep, just don't stand still. And I think that's what I've taken from our time together. So on that same note, when our time together, we discuss so many things. And one of the biggest things that I think connected us was our spirituality. And uh, everyone that knows me knows that since my diagnosis, I have gone on this really huge, empowering, amazing spiritual journey um, that one day I will um, talk about. But can you tell me about you know, what is spirituality? Because I think it's really important that we, you know, demystify this. And how can we feel more connected to the spiritual world in this absolutely crazy, busy modern world? We're going to cover a big topic here. <laughs> um, I mean, spirituality, it does come with a lot of definitions and a lot of perspectives like the kaleidoscope you know it's going to mean something very different to all of us but i think if i can give some perhaps some helpful benchmarks um spirituality um is, is sometimes um defined as the quality of being concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things i think that's a very helpful definition um Sometimes others say spirituality is concerned with where we find our security, our significance, or our self-worth. And I think also it's um, worth saying that sometimes our spirituality is firstly defined or introduced from our parents and grandparents or, or the cultures or communities or faiths that we're introduced to as children. Um, I think what's really interesting um, is that there's a, an author um, and presenter uh, called David Baddiel. Uh, he's quite quite a famous character in the in the media, and he's recently written a book called The God Desire. It's coming out in April, but it's, it's the story of a reluctant atheist, which is quite interesting because he his parents and grandparents came very much from the Jewish tradition, and very sadly, you know, in the um, in the context of the Holocaust, he lost a lot of relatives who was, were persecuted for their Judaism. Um, and now he's come to the point of his life where he's considering, what does spirituality mean to me? Um, I feel very much part of that their tradition, but I'm not sure I believe every single aspect of perhaps what some of the other people in the family did. And I think actually that point comes to all of us where, you know, we're, we're introduced to things that are influences, but at some point with spirituality, we have to decide what that means for us 
and we can't surf almost on the back of somebody else's. It's a really, really personal thing. I hope that gives a little bit of a, an introduction um, and how it might be something that we want to continually discover and explore through our lives. I mean, for me, spirituality has been a saving grace from, you know, I feel like my journey would not have half been as easy as it has. I mean, it's been hard, but it's also been easy because of my absolute um, kind of groundedness in my faith. Um, and that only came about after my um, diagnosis. And I had a lot of spiritual encounters that I'm sure I'll speak about um at one point but one of the biggest things for me was uh, i think it's a really important story to tell is we had a session about spirituality and and you know feeling connected to the spiritual world and you told me about stormzy and how his rapping is so important um yes. in terms of you know um bringing about you know believing in something in in kind of such a modern way through rap and his faith is in Christianity and he's you know he talks about God quite a lot um I walked away from that conversation thinking wow yeah I didn't even know that you know his music is quite inspiring and then I sat in the car and I put the radio on and the first song that came on was Stormzy <laughs> um, blinded by your grace and I couldn't I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe and that's really some of the things that have happened in my life that makes me really believe. Um, what are some of the things we can do to feel more connected? I, you know, I'm not the, saying, you know, it's not about going to church or to the temple or to, you know, to a religious thing. What can we do to feel more connected to, any, you know, it doesn't need to be a faith. It, need, it can be anything that we believe in, like you say. I, I think one of the things that it's taken me it took, it took me too long to realise this, certainly I didn't realise in those first few decades of my life, but, but listening to wise people who have, have something to say, and actually they, it could be the person on the bus, uh, we, you know, we don't know who is going to have a conversation with us that, it, that gives us one of those new kaleidoscope perspectives where something comes into a little bit more clarity for us. Um, I can give you a few examples, I think, of, of, of how other people have inspired me and how that's helped me get connected with spirituality, and I hope it might um, connect with some, some of you listening. Um, for me, I think when I was working with the homeless people, this, a lot of the um, stories were regarding abuse and um, addiction. And so I was really interested in how, well, you know, and what could help. So some of the, I, I looked at spirituality, perhaps through a psychological lens, you know, what was actually producing change in people. Um, and it was interesting that a lot of people that attended groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, which had a spiritual element to it, there would be this huge change in them. And this idea of transformation in who we are as humans, I think when we notice transformation in others and transformation in ourselves, in, in that change, we see something very special. In that change, we're connecting with something that it, um, is very significant to a lot of us. 
process. So um, with AA, there's a 12-step program. I'm talking about this because it's quite, you know, what a widely known thing. So hopefully it will speak to people as I speak about this. Um, and the 12-step program has um, things like step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And, and then there are other steps. And then step 12, uh, which is the final concluding steps, is um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So, in other words, having looked wider than ourselves, we now feel in a place to reach out to others. And um, that has been our spiritual awakening. Yeah, for me, learning from those people who had those kind of spiritual awakenings um, was really key. And I think for all of us, if we're just listening out, for, you know, for conversations we can have that are sort of seemingly put in our path, that, that are pivotal in our thinking, um, other people can be key in that. Um, there's another, there's another uh, story that may interest um, a, a few listeners. Um, it's a, chap called, a story by a chap called Thomas A. Tarrance, and he wrote a book called Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love. And this was a man who um, got involved, I think, with a, a, a very bad, influential subculture, which um, was in Mississippi, and it was persecuting people um, the very well-known Ku Klux Klan, who you oh, would think yeah. would be some of, you know, the most evil yeah. thinking on this planet. What is the hope for this man? Well, um, eventually he got put in prison. In the, it, you can read all about this in this book. For me, this is just fascinating, this particular spiritual awakening. He was put in prison. He escaped from prison. Um, he was known as one of the most dangerous criminals in Mississippi. He um, was uh, pursued by the FBI. He was shot in the arm. Um, he was then put in prison again. And his cellmate was a black man who gave him such love and showed him such uh, grace and the, the um, spiritual awakening that can happen in some people that he wanted that himself. And um, to cut a long story short, he became someone who um, is, is the head now of the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's the president of that. He was let out of prison early because of his uh, immense transformation. And he leads a multiracial church where he shows nothing but love and uh, has spent his whole rest of his life telling people about the wrong of his evil and uh, the realization of the error of his ways and how love uh, is what redeems us all. So it, stories like that, you know, for me, connect us to what it means to have a spiritual awakening. It's sort of, there's a big key, I think, in the transformation. Wow. I mean, what a story. I'm always blown away. How do you retain all this information? I don't know. Um, that is that is a story. And I think what I'm taking from that is that it doesn't matter 
it doesn't matter where we are in our journey we can just start that spiritual awakening can happen when we're you know maybe six months old yes. maybe i'm being too much there but you know you can happen when you're when we're young yes. or it can happen when we're in our you know 50s or 60s or even you know in our late 80s it doesn't matter i think that the point is that um, we should be open and we should be open to it and, and curious about it and and always seeking to do a bit more than just us for ourselves yeah to do more for others and i think for me going through my journey that was that was key i think i looked at myself and i thought everything i've been doing um not in a wrong way in any way but you know it was all about me it was all about making sure that i had everything that i needed and at no point had i really thought about have i given back and that's when i started volunteering here some of the best months of volunteering because it really brought me back to kind of what I really, you know, I came here and it made me feel whole again. And I think anyone listening who is thinking about volunteering or doing it, you know, anything that is unpaid and just from the goodness of their heart, just do it because it will make you feel amazing and you'll be doing so much good for your soul. And I think I'm all, all about, you should be feeding your soul just as, just like we feed our bellies really. Um, you know, you've just hearing what you're, you kind of worked on, you've worked on some really hard cases. And we've talked about this quite often about some of the cases that you've come, come across, especially to help me uh, figure out my path over the bridge. Um, you've worked with homelessness, you've worked with domestic abuse, rape cases, and more recently with end of life care. And, and in this day and age, I know we, as a society, find it hard to say no. We find, you know, we always want to be doing more, and which is great, but it does come at the consequence of a, maybe a, a burnout. How do you protect your energy? Because you're listening to this heavy stuff every day. Um, how do you protect your energy? What are the things you do to detox your mind, body, and soul? Because I think all three are very important to detox from. Uh, I, I, it's such an important question, Rita, and I think this particularly became really important during COVID when a lot of people in the NHS were kind of run off their feet and so many people were poorly and, you know, we, we were worried about the health of our nurses, didn't we? Um, I think, I mean, I'm sure some of the nurses would agree with this, sometimes what keeps you going is, is love. You know, you're, you're motivated by love. Um, there's a favourite quote I have, which is perfect love casts out fear. And sometimes um, where you feel fear, and you, you might relate to this being a parent, you know, sometimes you might be fearful of doing something with your children, but the love you have for them make, makes you carry on and do it. And, and it's suddenly not a, a chore or a burden in any shape or form. In fact, it's a privilege and an honour, even if you feel a bit of fear. Um, or, or you're feeling, even if you're feeling a bit tired or, you know, a bit burnt out, you, you, you carry on because you absolutely believe in the love you, 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 you have for the meaning and what you're doing. And I, and I think that's very true for a lot of people who are in the healthcare professions. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, so do you ever say no? <laughs> to say no. Um, what specific 
examples might you think of you know to so say someone comes to you and needs needs your help but you're burnt out yourself yes um because you probably listen to you know uh, say seven people that day telling you about you know the things that they're experiencing um and then this eighth person comes and you feel the burnout how, how do you say no well do you it, say no? it, it, <laughs> it's sort of the appointment system sadly that's just known there's a frustration with that of course because really the healthcare professionals who are working behind the loving hearts would like to say yes to everybody and i think that's the the kind of crisis we're in 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 the country now i think you hit on a really good point there it's a very serious point because there are many 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 people we'd love to say yes to and you know sometimes it's almost the electronic booking system yeah that, that is saying so it perhaps takes that decision making away from you a bit which is probably good because otherwise we'd all go home crying that we couldn't say yes to more you know um but um personally you know when i get home um i, I do try and watch a bit of comedy or something uh go for a walk in nature uh you know and just try and um and go to bed early that's the other thing which i never used to do you know this is the thing of getting a few decades older you you know i used to burn the candle at both ends as they say but uh, trying to get as early a bedtime as possible i find does help because when we're asleep um our hearts aren't working as hard and therefore we can you know, lower our blood pressure and it's really good for our cortisol levels so um, and also i'm getting a bit older now so i think i don't i don't know if i could stay up much later if i try <laughs> <laughs> that's really important i'm really glad you touched on those topics about getting out in nature sleeping um and you know just uh, laughing a little bit more because i think for me um I, you know, doing my research through how I can help my cancer diagnosis and, and help the outcome not be so dire is, has been around, like, what can I do to optimize my health and sleep has been number one. I go to bed at like 9, 9.30 every single day, try to do that, you know, no matter what day it is, just to keep that consistency because we are cyclical beings and we should try and keep in with our cycle and our rhythm. And, and nature, I mean, we all kind of forget that we can just, it's free, we can get out there, we can take a long walk and that will help detox your, detox your mind and bring down your cortisol levels. So that's, that's really important. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Um, you've been in this field for many years now. Um, I'm really, really interested and I know everyone else will be. Um, worked, you know, worked with some really hard cases. What would you say are some of the kind of top learnings that we can all take from, you know, people who have walked in these awful situations that we can put in, you know, give to give us hope and to live a more purposeful life? Uh, I touched on one in terms of, you know, meeting people uh, along the way and listening to their stories. But I think particularly what I didn't realise, you know, when I was younger was that, um, the life lessons of older people, especially the ones who have huge smiles on their faces, um, usually have so much wisdom that to take the time out and intentionally visit someone or else if somebody else comes across your path and it's almost like you're set up with that person, uh, 
you know, to social function or on the bus or whatever, you know, to really listen to some of those older people. Um, they have such gems of wisdom that can be absolutely transformational to our thinking and give us a little bit of joy or hope, just well, we weren't expecting it. So those unexpected nuggets of, of, of joy are absolutely to be always about putting our treasure chest. I think another thing that I've really learned is that even in the worst moments of life, we're discovering things about ourselves and about others that are the richness of, of life's journey. And um, I've got a favourite quote uh, in, from uh, the very profound A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> who says, um, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you know, and more, sorry, smarter than you think, and loved more than you'll ever know. And I think um, that that is, uh, you know, a very, a very profound thing for us all to receive on a very deep level. Um, and then also I think asking ourselves what does to win in this life really mean to us? You know, there's no point in winning anything that doesn't teach us about ourselves and others along the way. Um, so we should be in no rush to get to life's finishing post. I think I decided that at quite a young age. <laughs> you did, um, you did. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of learning to have be had along the way. And I think so finally to sort of, all, to sum up all those points that I've just made, I think I feel that the whole of life um, is an incredible opportunity to be a student and learn. And in a way, we're eternal students. Every day we're on this planet, we're learning something it's usually something amazing so hanging on to that hope of the wise people we're becoming oh my goodness I mean that is wonderful absolutely wonderful and I know that a lot of people will take such comfort in hearing that and just kind of feel feel that love coming through from you know from you just talking because I think it's it's yeah wow I'm just blown away but I think I've said that quite a few times now. Um, but that, this is the impact you have on me. So I know we've had lots of conversations, um, you know, as part of my therapy and, and outside of that. And one of the things that you've mentioned is um, something that really intrigues me is, is how the stories of our parents and our grandparents are linked to our stories of life and that no thread in life is wasted. I mean... Uh, you need to expand on this because I'm super intrigued about what this means and and have I been doing the right things and <laughs> oh I'm sure you have me so it's I mean each each of our journeys is so individual and unique that there is no wrong or right path that's that's what is so fascinating you know what makes up the different strands of our individual lives is what makes our story that's what makes us interesting you know um I think that um there's a very interesting concept in psychotherapy called transgenerational transference which sounds a very grand term um, but I think it's very significant um, I was mentioning earlier um, some of the um, Jewish people in fact you, the, the book you mentioned Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl was one such Holocaust survivor um, 
and a, a transgenerational transference is often seen in that context where you know you, a person might be the, the grandchild or great-grandchild of someone who either survived the Holocaust or, or you know was a relative of, of someone who, who who perished in the Holocaust and that, that story even though they didn't live through that personally can really really in, inform their attitude and outlook to life um, I think for myself, um, I, I, what's really what I've been reflecting on this recently, I lost two grandparents when I was age two and six, they were my father's parents, and then on my maternal side, my grandfather died when um, I was 19, and my grandmother died when she was 101, and I was 45, um, and so you think about what is the influence that your your grandparents have and I think what I, I found so fascinating was that the, it's almost obvious to say that the people who are with you physically present are going to have an influence on your life so for me my grandmother because she lost her husband when she was 75 and then spent 26 years on her own you know um she was just such an example of kindness and courage so she, so she was going to be a very big big influence on my life but then thinking back to the grandparents i lost when i was two and six they've also been a huge influence on my life because my father was 33 and he inherited um a business which was not doing so well at the time but it was a seed of something that he was given from his parents and then he was a really good, faithful steward of that seed. And to honour them, he worked hard to make that seed grow. And um, he had a really profound work ethic because of that. Um, he, he found that, you know, just sort of working to honour them was a way of showing his love, even though they weren't here anymore. And that also had a really, really profound effect on me. So, you know, it's in, interesting, maybe um, those that are listening, some of these things will resonate in their own families too, because, you know, those that are here and even those who have, have gone before us, they influence our lives in such an incredible way. And I think those are some of the threads that weave into our own stories. Absolutely. I mean, I I resonate with that completely. I my granddad was a really big part of our family. He was the head of the house, and when he passed away, I think it was nearly seven years ago now. When I was pregnant with my first son, his legacy has had such a profound effect on our family and how we function. He was the head of the house, and he kept the family together. And I think we all now kind of try to honour that and try to make sure that we're spending as much time we can together, um, keeping our grandma safe. He always said to my grandma, as long as you've got my back, I'll have your back. And we, we made a promise to him that we'll always have her back. And I think that carries us through the way we are as, you know, me and my cousins, my brother, my sister, we all are you know, have the same, we look out for one another. And I think, you know, you're so right. I think I didn't really link it back to my granddad, but now that we, we're talking about it, that is, you know, I think his his impact on my family has been huge. 
So that's uh, that's that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. It's a deeply profound thing, isn't it? And I think one of one of the other aspects I think I really should mention is that when I was working with a lot of people who were homeless, sometimes the, the fortunate stories we have of a very strong link with parents and grandparents isn't the story of everyone. Um, and and actually through that, what 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 you know, I'm going to use your phrase now, what blew my mind really, what blew me away, speaking to the homeless people was that they had explored, this is another aspect of spirituality, they had explored this idea of spiritual adoption um, and sometimes through the mechanism of Alcoholics Anonymous, where it said in step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. For some of those people, the question was, who is or who or what is this power greater than ourselves? And some came to think, so they told me, you know, that actually it could be that our maker is a loving parent. And therefore, even if we haven't got this lineage like, like you and I were sharing, um, where we feel so grateful for the legacies we've been given, actually a legacy of um, love that, you, that, we, that nobody, not a single person on this earth has a life that's a mistake and that every single person is loved and that every single person has a purpose. You know, to see those people who, whose lives were in pits but believe that, that was transformational yeah. to me. So, you know, there's so much in this um, topic. Oh, <laughs> we could be here all day. I think we could be here all day and probably cry together <laughs> yes, all day yes, because I think yes. the emotional yes. impact that this has um, on you know everyone is is huge. But you've been at the forefront. You've been on the you know the the uh, at the top top of the well, at the forefront of watching these people go through something really horrendous and. I can see you're getting emotional because it, it does, it, it changes you. And I think you um, mentioned something about a book because uh, I think it's about the healer and um, something about yes. heal the healer. Or... Oh, the, wound, the Wounded Healer by Henri Nouron. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's someone who believes that we can't show real compassion to someone else in someone else's pain unless we've been through an aspect of pain in our own lives. And that gives us almost like the... The, the authority to be a listener because yeah. we understand something we're not a robot listening but there's a real heartfelt sense of understanding in that pain um but if anyone's interested in the spiritual adoption aspect there's some great books by mark stibby uh one is called from orphans to heirs which has an amazing title so you know amazing <laughs> yeah thank you I mean, what keeps you going? Uh, I think I know the answer, but I, I, I want to hear it from you. What keeps you going? Because this is a tough job. What you're doing is a tough, tough job. Um, but also, it must be so rewarding because, um, you know, you're seeing broken people, you know, absolutely broken people. And I know I was definitely one of those. I was completely broken when I came to you um, to then... I can't believe that I'm sat here in the kind of positive light, the positive mindset that I am today. Sometimes I blow my own mind. <laughs> um, uh, what keeps you going? Well, I know um, that I speak on behalf of everyone, 
in saying this and that goes for our, our trustees our ceo our volunteers not just the clinical staff you know the receptionists the cleaners we we are all absolutely genuinely in awe of our patients who we love so much who inspire us so much who humble us so much many you know we, we can only think of, of imagining to walk a mile in our patient's shoes um, but we're, we're humbled to know those journeys that we perhaps haven't trodden yet but we are imagining what that's like and the love um, and, and that we, we feel for people who just inspire us every day it genuinely brings us joy so actually it's an easy thing to keep going when you have that much love and inspiration for for the people who you serve you know amazing julia amazing um i i think it's just so interesting your life is so interesting i'm so honored to have had this time to just explore a little bit about you rather than me just telling you about my my pain and and the things that i've been going uh, going through it's been it's been brilliant um i usually close the podcast with um asking uh, the guests to kind of share an inspiring quote an inspiring story um that i am hoping to build a little collection of and one day maybe even write a book about it i don't know um i'll manifest that one um but can you can you share some some really uh, you've shared so much already but um just one last time well miss may i just say before we close thank you for being so generous and being so so interested in my story that 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 took me left field and I think you're it's incredible for spending time doing this um, and and thank you for just opening up the, the floor to, to hear a little bit about what it's like to to um, to work here um, I think um, to, just to end my one of my favorite quotes I, I have to go with um, something that I had above my bed as a child funnily enough not realizing that it was the main prayer used at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings <laughs> I just saw it in a book, you know, I was eight years old. Oh, that's, that, that resonates. So maybe I was meant to be a counsellor from, from that point of view. It, and the uh, words of God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's going in there, it's going in my little collection. <laughs> I think you should write the book. <laughs> Most definitely. Thank you. Well, um, it's, it's been an absolute honour to have you on here as a guest. I, I've, I've been blown away uh, by some of your stories and I know people listening will feel the same way. Um, thank you for giving up your time um to talk about some really important stuff i think we've talked about spirituality quite a bit and i think it is really important that we all have a bit of faith um and on that note thank you very much and and yeah i hope all all the success in the world in the future thank you lovely meter and i hope that you continue to shine as you are today you shine a great light to us all <laughs> thank you thank you
Thank you.